You got part one last week of a massive, fantastic conversation. Old teammates, old players. Uh, this week, we're going to finish it off with Tony Resch and Chris Bates on the TFL podcast. What was your favorite road arena in the league? Oh, that's, I'll take that one for, I mean, playing in the odd was just as unique an environment as you could possibly imagine, right? If you remember the, the old facilities were, were more like bowls. So that if you were in the upper deck in the mezzanine, you almost overlooked the field. It wasn't quite the same, you know, wider expanse that these new things are. Um, but the, the, you'd have to, you guys remember, right? You'd have to walk through the mezzanine. They pulled the iron gate across the walkway. So you'd, you'd have to walk. And people were ticked because they couldn't get where they wanted to get, number one. You know, they were going out to get a beer. Number two, it's the opposing team who's walking right in front of you in spitting distance, literally and figuratively. Like yeah, like, spitting distance. They're throwing shit at you constantly. Like just, and you're like almost ducking to get to the playing field. And then you had those battles on, uh, you know, it, it was packed. And then you had the two best teams. There's, I mean, that environment was absolutely electric. There was nothing like it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I'd have to agree with that. I, I have to also say that I just loved the old buildings, the odd, the spectrum. Um, lucky enough to coach in the old Boston Gardens. I remember I snuck into the Celtics. I'm just a sports fan, right? Celtics yeah. back room. I think I used it in a pregame talk, and it just had one tiny little sign that said, run, period, defend to run again. Right? Boston Celtics, Bob Cousy, John Havlicek. I was like, this is – and then uh, the Maple Leaf Gardens. I'm, I know I've heard other shows with you, Steve, that guys are talking about how the one end of the bench was open. <laughs> Eating I'll never forget this. This guy's like sitting there. I don't know if you remember if you were GM at that point, Steve, where you lose in the playoffs. I think it was the year after a bunch of guys moved on. We lose 13 to 2. If you can imagine that game. I remember. Playoffs. So, and the guys, whatever the score is at that point, I, I just look over. The guy was sitting on our bench, basically eating popcorn. He looks at me and goes, You guys suck. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, 13 to 2. Guilty as charged. Like, it wasn't like a boxer. She's like, You guys suck. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Can I have some popcorn while you're insulting me? Or, uh, so if you guys can put, you know, lots of guys from the history of the game, and, and Tony, you're there already in the Hall of Fame, but, but if you could put a guy or two into the National Lacrosse League Hall of Fame that's not there, who would it be? Um, I, I would start, Basie, I'm starting to jump in again, but um, I'm just a fan of, when we were talking about it earlier, 100% biased of guys that, uh, took to the indoor game, field players that learned the game. So for me, and again, 100% biased, I would say Kevin Finneran and a Jake Berge, guys that could be impact players, um, especially, you know, Finn was amazing to, to come in like he did and carve a career like he did and to be as skilled as he was um, on the offensive end of the field is so hard to do. And then Jake had, you mentioned it, Steve, I wish that as a coaching staff, we could take some credit for that. But he was one of those, you know, after a practice or two, just his nimbleness and hands around the goal, looking at, you know, whoever, Nody or Gary or whoever, like, wow, what, we got something there. And that was just a gift he had. So those two come to mind for me. I, I actually echo that. 
you know, you prompted that question, you, you know, the ability to score, you know, from an American standpoint, like that's so foreign, right. You know, to play on a four by four or four, four by four and a half and put it behind a goalie. You know, I always marveled at, at Finn cause he could just, you know, he was slick. He could feed it real. You know, his, his vision was really underrated. I thought, and then watching Bergs from day one, you know, you're like, this kid has no fear, and somehow this ball is getting in the back of the net. He could dive and wrap it. He can go over the top. You know, I, you know, he scored more goals in his first couple of games than I did my entire career. You know, and he just had that knack. So, I, 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 great minds think alike. Those are the two guys that came came to my brain also. And he's Jake's got to be a leader and Gordy Howe uh, hat tricks too. I would think. <laughs> he, he certainly prided himself on it, no question. Yeah. Um, I do. Uh, I. I want to ask you guys, I'm going to mention names and, and I want you to riff a little bit or uh, first thing that comes to your mind on these names. And, and I want to uh, talk about uh, the, the first guy I'm going to ask you about and clarify something is the first black player in the major indoor lacrosse league and then ultimately the national Cross league. And I, I think it's Ricky Sewell. Tell me if I'm wrong, Tony, you were there. I, you know, it was he the first black player in our league? I'm going to have to say yes. In those yeah. earliest days, Baltimore Thunder, I, I, I can't I can't think. Uh, unless Chris Dent played for the Wings early on and actually scored the winning goal in our first championship. So I don't know. It might have been the Ricky's, same year, Ricky's right? my age. Ricky's my age. Chris Dent's a little younger. So it's. I would guess that Rick was in there right from the – from the beginning, like a lot of us at that time, right? Well, you would know probably better. Right now, I think you know the times uh, as what they are. It's something that uh, you know we need to say out loud, and we need to talk about uh, Ricky Sewell as the first black player, if if that's indeed the case, and I think it is. Um, you know, in our league, and we should acknowledge that, and we should recognize that, and I think that's a huge, especially in a sport that doesn't have a ton of diversity. Clearly you guys experienced a, uh, an amazing summer uh, with, with the Black Players Alliance that, that set their foot, put the flag in the sand and put their foot down and said, hey, we're here and, uh, and we're going to make a statement about uh, who we are and what should happen. And I thought that was super powerful. I was really proud to be a lacrosse guy uh, watching them this past summer. Um, but, but talk about Ricky's game a little bit uh, if you can, and you can remember back that far, Tony. I know you've been hitting the head a lot. Yeah. Uh, hold on one sec. So, yeah, I mean, I'm a, again, I'm same year out of college as Ricky, so I played club lacrosse against him and plenty of tournaments with him. Just uh, one of the great athletes I was around, uh, just a do-it-all midfielder when that was still a thing, play offense, play defense, everything in between, and uh, had the great pleasure coaching with him a couple times uh, through his great coaching career, and, and what a gentleman, what an unbelievable person, so one of my favorite guys that I've been around uh, in, uh, in lacrosse over the years. Again, a long time together. Totally looked good in the Pittsburgh Bulls uniform, man. That, that color scheme was, was right <laughs> on the money for him. We used to joke. Yeah. You coached against him a ton, right, Basie? Like, you guys, college coaches together against yeah, each he's other? Yeah, a, a high character, you know, just, you know, Tony used the term gentleman, but that coupled with a, a fierce competitor, you know, somebody yeah. I respect as a player and a coach, and, and uh, consider a friend. He's, he's a good man. 
Next guy, you know, fierce competitor as well, but a player that uh, I know you guys, and Tony, you went up against him a number of times, and Darius Kilgore, you went up against him as a player and as a coach. Yeah, he was, uh, I, I, in a lot of ways for me, he sort of defines what the bandits were about, both that when I was playing against him, which was uh, a unique experience in its own right. And then coaching while he was still playing and coaching against him. I mean, talk about a guy that just would do anything, anything, anything in order to, to help his team win. Uh, I think he was the definition of that and a super skilled guy, as much as he could goon it, he was also a, an excellent player at both ends of the field. So I had always had the utmost respect for him and, uh, yeah, my, 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 my favorite quick, guy. But my quick one funny memory, and I echo all that because Darius could flat out play and was just, you know, the the guts of that team in a lot of ways. And I remember we played. I think we'd won the championship the year before, and the first game of the the season the next year was in Philly, or maybe it was a playoff game. I, I'm not sure I have the story right, but the first quarter, the clear strategy was to try to rattle Dallas. So. You know, big right-handed shot, and they wasn't not shooting for the goal. Darius was not shooting for the goal. They were shooting for for Dally's head, and you know, Dally, we love Dally. According to Dallas, <laughs> was he a little volatile? You know, and <laughs> a couple of them connected, and and Dally just lost it this one game. And you're like, you just you couldn't, you know, as teammates, you just you, you just saw the fuse being lit, then you saw the match getting close to it, and you're like, here it comes. But, you know, I think the point is is just anything it took to win. And, you know, we all know the personalities. And, and Dally just – he got Dally that day. And we I'm sure we didn't win that game. Yeah, so you, guys are, you guys are in the middle of that. Have you ever asked Steve – I didn't – Dallas would say to me, like, we got to do something about it. I'm like, well, if our guys could actually aim and hit somebody in the head, we'd be much better <laughs> off. So I'm not sure what you want me to tell them. That's the problem with me being one of the more skilled guys on that team. That I couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. Oh, I had to boy, dive was, to score. Was if I wasn't strong. elevated and, and going vertical, I couldn't score. So yeah, um, That was a conspiracy theory that Dallas was holding uh, with Dallas leading the way for sure. There is nothing better than a Dallas Elliott halftime tirade in the locker room. It was there was nothing better than that. He was go ballistic. The things that would come out of his mouth were like this the like the poison that he would spew. His head would spin around. I mean, he was literally the exorcist in the locker. What did he, what did he like to call the other goalie a pylon? And we can't even <laughs> yeah. score. On the- He's a fucking chair. He's a chair. That was it. Yeah. <laughs> The beauty of him, too, is he chirp, he chirp, his own, he chirp us in practice. Yes, just as bad. He's like, he you suck. Yeah, like, You're stick hooked. That's why I go set picks. I can't beat you. I can't, <laughs> what can I tell you? I loved scoring on him. If any time you ever scored on him, he would go, You're stick hooked. <laughs> You're stick hooked. Exactly. Or a crease. Like, I didn't mean to do that. You're stick hooked. All right. Or crease. Crease. Yeah, crease. You're in a crease. Jimmy Veltman. Uh, I've, that's, I've, I have to, I got to say, if there's a, I forget, one of the other things you said might come up is who would you like to sit next to in the locker room? That would be my guy. He was, I don't know why for, for me at some point as I was late playing and then coaching was the guy that I almost couldn't take my eyes off of just because he seemed, he was the guy, like they say about a Wayne Gretzky or whatever, that seemed to know what was going to happen a, a play or two before everybody else did. And I can just remember, like, 
rebounds often in the corner where he'd pick it up and throw these three quarter of the of the field passes to guys that when we were like, how did you even know somebody went to the bench to release Tavares coming off the bench and you just turned and gunned it and put it on the money and just sometimes you wouldn't even play for me. Sometimes he wouldn't turn. He would just throw it over his head. Yeah. I mean, he was just to me, one of the, like the, the best player all around just cause he could do a little, he could score it if they asked him to do that. And, and another really good guy that, did some great things off the field as well. So he's he's like a hero of mine, I would say, from my indoor experience. I would, I would echo. I've been around – well, you know, currently, Steve, you know, I coached Zach Kerr at, at, at Princeton and just one of those uncanny – Zach's the best ground ball guy I've ever coached because he just would be in a pile and pull it out, you know. And I think, you know, Brody before that, obviously. But Veltman, you know, you'd look at his stat line after the game and, you know, he's got 17 ground – like, how do you pick up 17 ground balls in a game, right, and then be two and five or two – like, <laughs> yeah. you know, just had the knack of setting picks and feeding. And, uh, again, I, he's somebody in my all-time list is, is right there at the top as well. I'm going to slide in a contemporary player because I don't do this very often. I don't talk about players on other teams and, and stuff like that in contemporary. But, Batesy, you coached him. And Tom Schreiber, Ivy League pro player um, – Talk about Tom Schreiber for a second, because what, what what an amazing story he's become. Well, I was going to mention him before, because I remember Tom asking me in college, he's like, do you think, you know, do you think I could play in the indoor league? Do you think I could play indoor? I'm like, yeah, I think you're going to figure it out. Like, I don't think it's going to happen overnight. I don't think anybody saw how quickly his game was going to translate. You knew he was going to be able to slice and dice a little bit and, and sort of make some things happen, because he's unguardable. But the fact that he made other guys around him better, which is his gift, right? He's Tom's going to make a play. Like he's as he he's as much a gamer and competitor as I've ever been around, and I've been around you know some good ones. Um, but to be able to put the ball back in the net like he did, and and understand the nuances of the game, you know, I think he was smart. He 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 went to school and and picked guys' brain. But at the end of the day, he's just somebody that you always want to be around just because he's he wants to win more than you. You know what I mean? He's just that guy. Um, so, t- Coach Tony and I are, are lucky to, to have him on the archers. But, you know, and, as, it, it, you know, it's cliche, but as much he's just one of the best leaders and most humble superstars you could ever imagine, which just separates him. You know, you can't help but root for the, 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 the caliber of the human being. Uh, but he's, he's an all-time great for sure. Yeah, I would uh, I would just chime in. I agree with all that. Chris knows him better than I do through his college experience. But I will say that uh, going back to Finn and uh, Jake Berge and um, just how hard it is and to the fact that he has sort of come in and made that kind of an impact with the Toronto Rock, one of the great franchises that the league has ever seen, to me is just mind-boggling to, to a certain extent. Right? I look at, uh, for me, we're proud locally of uh, – Matt Rambo with the wings and went to LaSalle high school. And, um, you know, so when he, whatever his first year he had, how many goals he had 15, 10, 15, I'm like, that's, you don't know how hard that is to go (laughs) and score that many goals as a new player in that league. And then for Tom Schreiber to be, you know, leader on that team and uh, do the things he's done. It's so cool to see, uh, see good guys. Uh, the kid's been an MVP candidate, and, and Matt, Matt Rambo certainly put his mark on the National Lacrosse League. And these are, you know, these are Team USA players that are transitioning into our game late, you know, late in their careers, college-wise, you know, post-collegiate careers. 
Uh, I think it's amazing. I want to see more of those guys do it, and I, I'm excited to see more of those Americans come up through, you know, great college systems with, with great coaches, and and ultimately become uh, NLL standouts. And and you know, they're certainly doing it. And again, with expansion, I think it's coming, and and I'm excited to see it. But I want to talk. I want to go backwards again. Talk a little bit about what's the difference between Paul and Gary Gate. Oof. So I, I I'm showing my age here, but I had the unique opportunity to play against them when they were with the, the turbos to play with them for my last year with the wings and then coach both of them and then just coach Gary. And then, yeah. So, uh, I, I can't remember if this is when I was playing, I actually ran a line with them. We were still doing two way. So if you can imagine that I would just, I'd have to chase their guys all around when they were playing <laughs> play defense, but um, I remember once Paul kept leaking out, leaking out, leaking out. And, and, uh, I don't know if I asked him again as a coach or a, as a line mate, I'm like, you're kind of getting out of here. He's like, well, the way I see it, I can give up a 20% shot down there for a like 60% shot down this end. I was like, okay, fair enough. <laughs> but, yeah, and I mean, they were both great unbelievable to compete against was an honor almost um i will say for me again going back to my first coaching days gary when you have a guy of that caliber and i'm not knocking paul at all but gary was with us longer um who literally we'd say can obviously the offense took care of itself how about some face off line how about some man down how about you know, picking up the towels after practice and you guys know Gary, he'd be like, yep, yep, sure, coach, anything you need. And when you're, you know, the MVP of however many years he did that is setting that kind of example um, that it's guys getting in line and makes the coaches, uh, coaching staff's job that much easier. And, and Gary was the epitome of that. And just to me, it was one of those, like one, at least one a day, head shaking play where you'd just be like, how do you do that? You know, so it was pretty cool. My first interaction with those guys was in 1990 in the North-South game, and I'm a little podunk, you know, attacking from Dartmouth. Go Big Green. And that was the first, like, those guys were the first <laughs> real superstars in some ways where kids were just following them. And you just saw, like, all right, this is a different deal. Anyway, we're, we're in a 3-3 doing man-up practice or something, and I'm in the low left corner, uh, although I am a righty, by the way. Um, <laughs> or uh, a secret. I literally get hit square in the helmet with a behind-the-back pass from up top in the center where Gary just, you know, dined it behind the back and hits me. I'm like, all right, that's embarrassing. <laughs> but the vision, I mean, both have such good vision. I would say Paul plays a little more powerfully in some ways. Like, Paul's a little more kind of uh, straight. They're, they're, you know, to Tony's point, they're both, you know, you feel lucky to be able to say you, you play with them and just two really – you know, super guys as well. What would you, how would you answer that? I'm curious your, your answer to that one. Well, Polly bought me more beers, but, um, <laughs> that, look, I roomed with both of them on the road a number of times and, and we've, uh, we've spent a lot of time together. Uh, Polly's they're Polly's pretty cerebral. Um, but played more of a, uh, let's call it a, a forceful game. He would carry guys onto his back and, um, did I say Gary? I meant Paul. Paul would play that forceful game where he was he was carrying guys on his back, and um, you know, and, and Gary was a lot of finesse, 
um, even for his size. And, and for guys like that to be able to play both finesse and, and power is, is obviously an attribute you can't, you know, obviously that's why they were so good. But I, I will never forget Paul Gate in the 94 championships and come out. It's 10-7 at the half. We were down to Buffalo in the 94 championship. Paul Gate comes out, rattles off like seven in a row, and the ball's going in. He's shooting from the top on the power play, and the ball was going in. Like everything he touched was going in. It's like Jamal Murray playing for the Nuggets the other night, not last night, but the other night when everything he touched was going in, and and he literally shot the ball, turned around the camera, and was like, "Can't gave that Michael Jordan." Uh... I don't know what's going on. I'll tell you anyway. I mean, there was a lot of finesse in the game, but you know what? The one thing, and Tony, you can attest to this, Gary, um, much better at it than maybe Paul was because Paul was leaking out to go for the 80% shot down the other end. Uh, Gary was one of the greatest defenders to ever play our game. And and he would take he would he would check you with one hand across his body, back across yours, um, behind you with the stick, and it was like it was highway robbery. He was picking your pocket and and he was doing it constantly. But I always remembered playing with him, you know, on a line. And basically we did it one, you know, for a year, but spent time watching him play defense. He was one of the best defenders ever, and I think he doesn't get enough credit for that. Yep. The other thing I'd like to kind of popped into my head is, as you were talking was just their, their innovation, right? They were always doing something different, right? Just testing the limits of rules and sort of things that they could do. I don't know if you guys <laughs> remember this at Mickleton, Gary thought it would be interesting. He was not that he was a celebration guy, but he thought that he would try to run up the boards and do a somersault do an air flip of the boards and he brought like a like a gym gym pad or something to practice and i was like gary i'm not sure this is the the coach i want to see and i it didn't it didn't go very well and then the other sort of small snippet of those guys never just always being on top they um i might have still been playing they switched to a yellow ball this is like right before the game yeah those guys had spray paint in there in their bag and they're spraying their pockets yellow because they thought, you know, the white ball in the white pocket, yeah. yellow ball in the yellow pocket. I'm like, why do you have yellow spray paint in your building? Maybe we're tipped off or something. Well, Paul, These guys were Paul Gate doesn't everything they could do to get an edge. They were on it. And I know it carried on to their sort of commitment to uh, equipment development. And I know those guys have done great work that way too. Paul Gate doesn't get credit for the offset head. Um, but the, you remember them bending their shafts, and that came from Kevin Alexander and Victoria, and those guys were always trying to work an angle. Yeah, um, the board, yeah. You know, they were they were finding a place where they could bend it in a in some anyway. Um, enough about them; they weren't that good. Um, Kevin Dance, much better player, much more skilled. Kevin Dance. I'll leave it. I'll let you go on that one. I, mean, we, I guess we're going, you know, the, the legendary Turbo's wings. So my quick story around that is I wasn't dressing that game. It was in the spectrum. And I'm, I'm radio announcing with, I forget, Little Lou, whatever that guy's name was. Yeah. I don't know if you remember that guy. He was always around the movie. He was scalping tickets. He scalped tickets in the parking lot. And he came in and did radio. Yeah, I might have been scalping them with him. But don't, <laughs> don't tell uh, Russ Klein. Uh so all of a sudden, you know, that that fracas breaks out. And really what, what – I just have this vision of Tony getting hit in the head with, you know, a, a soda pop or a beer or whatever it was and seeing the look on his face. 
and then this melee breaks out and I'm literally, I wish I had a, a, a recording of this because I'm on the radio trying to call the game with, with Sweet Lou or whatever his name was. I'm like, I got to go. And I tried <laughs> to get down, you know, my, I tried to get down to the, to the field so that I could join the fun and at least try to, I, I don't know what I thought I was going to do, but that would be priceless to hear that radio. He may be the only guy that I would have a height advantage uh, against in a fight. So unfortunately he and I never. Yeah, he was, he was a tough guy. I still remember during the midst of that, of course it's, a bit of a blur, although if Dowie listens to this, I supposedly I still can't find his website of the old games that he's putting on uh, YouTube. But well, I have, I'll like, tell you, it's God of goaltending. It's okay. God of goaltending. Do you would you expect a different name? <laughs> Sounds about right, actually. <laughs> um, but I have the tape of like multiple levels, floor level, sky cam of that fracas, and um, I still remember when we were in the midst of it. I thought there were like three Kevin dances because they like throw him out and then he was <laughs> back fighting somebody else and they dragged him out and then he was there again. I'm like, how many of these guys are there? So anyway, he was a tough uh, guy. Sure. I, I remember Billy Miller started the whole thing early on in that thing. He kicked somebody and that was a no-no. And, See, that uh, was, that cracked me up too after the fact <laughs> that I understand there's protocols and whatever, but those guys would break eight sticks over people's, you know, heads and necks and throats. And, but if one guy booted somebody, that was, <laughs> that was like. Oh, you broke the code, man. He broke the, the code. Cross the line. There's a code here. He sure there was. We didn't know about it, though. Uh, two guys that played for the Wings and, uh, and you guys, fond memories. And Batesy, we probably didn't play with either one of them. But uh, Jay Jalbert. Yeah, I did not play with Jay, but, you know, talk about a physical specimen and somebody that could just impose his will physically, you know, and then couple that just with an, an ability to just shoot the, the, shut the lights out of the ball. You know, one of those just big, strong guys that could, could bring it. Um, but yeah, I wish it would have been nice to, to overlap because he was, you know, just was a, you know, one of those talents that, that you know, you're, when you're on the field, you're like, all right, this, this dude's got something a little bit different. You know, no doubt. Yeah, he was uh, with us for the right as I was finishing up and talk about an athletic freak. He was unreal. Um, I forget. Didn't we call him the janitor or something? Just because he would sweep up <laughs> every any ground ball near him. He was so big and strong and fast. He just seemed to come up with it one way or the other. And I know he then he was so raw when I was still coaching at that time. But I know he really learned the game as every you know good good players do. You figure out some things that that uh that work for you indoor that are uh, unique to that sport so i know he's, he's turned into a very good player and was a good player for us as a as a raw guy well let, let's talk about one last guy here and and your your quick impressions and and a guy that i know you know you will finish on a laugh we talked about jamie hanford <laughs> our boy booger <laughs> <laughs> whose whose reputation precedes him by the way Yes, I was I was at the point, and uh, you guys are closer to him in, in age, but as a coach, I was almost one of those la-la-la-la, I don't need to know <laughs> too many details, but what, a, what an awesome guy. He was a tremendous uh, face-off guy, tough, and was a pleasure to have on a team just because he, he loved the game, he loved to compete, he loved being around the guys and kept the locker room uh, in a good place just because uh the joy that he brought to it so i love 
Love Jamie. All-time personality, right? I mean, you got you got to love Booger. And I didn't realize he's number two all-time in face-off wins in the league. I, have to I know. He's, he's pissed about that, too. Is that right? Oh, well, sure <laughs> wow. He's pissed because Jeff Snyder's ahead of him. Of course. <laughs> Those were some battles. Uh, we, we keep playing more you. games. We keep playing more games. They're both going to be in the rearview mirror, and the both of them are going to be pissed about it. So, Cali BBQ is proud to be an official sponsor of your San Diego Seals. Buy our slow smoked barbecue at any Seals home game or online anytime at www.calibbq.media. Hey, so I finish the show every time, and you guys get to be the pitch guys on a show for ESPN. So tell me what your 30 for 30 would be. Lacrosse needs a 30 for 30. What What is your pitch for a lacrosse 30 for 30? Well, for me, I would go back to the, just the barnstorming nature of those early years. Certainly you could, in my uh, humble opinion, those, the wings, bandits, rivalries, but I, I'd almost be interested in, maybe a wider view, not just the incredible competition and, and skill level of those teams, um, but like almost culturally, like what is it? You mentioned the spectrum of all places having 16,000 people to watch a lacrosse game. I admit from the first day I played to the last day I coached, every time I walked out and looked around, I was like, really for us? That's <laughs> unbelievable that, you know, what was it in that moment in time? I have my own theories that, to me in Philadelphia, as a Philadelphian, we were, there was like the major sports and then we kind of snuck in there and were successful and there were fights and it was exciting. And so we kind of, we had local guys. So I think that was part of it, but, and Buffalo the same way. How, how'd that happen? That we were playing in, in just such amazing circumstances and environments and memorable on and off the field. Um, I think it'd be pretty cool to, to know about. That was five years in a row, too, of, of championship games. I, didn't, I look back and saw that, too, from 92 right till 96, five straight years of those two teams. You know, that, that's, a, that's a pretty historic rivalry. I mean, in, in, in that era, you know, to Tony's point, those environments were just, you, you know, you just don't see that in our game. It's, it, you you kind of hope we can get back to it. You, you know, that, that sort of – you know, again, bubble environment where there's so many people on top. You just don't see that in our game. You saw it in Colorado, right? But um, I don't know yeah, if Colorado absolutely. had a natural rival and the same sort of feel in the building. Um, the only thing I'd add to that as, as my contribution would be, if you could have a, a camera crew have followed Dallas around, you, know, you want to ask for <laughs> a, a personality, like living with him, like there was no shower in his house back then. <laughs> you know, so just one of the more unique personalities. And, and, you know, this might not resonate with the larger lacrosse audience, but for those in Dallas will listen to this. So, you know, it, it's fun to, you know, hear that. But he would watch every day at 530. We watch Kolchak. You remember the show? Kolchak? <laughs> Great every show, day, by like, the that way. Was, that was Candace TV. And then before or after that, he's drawing and doodling and, you know, and then watching him be the most brilliant person in his position, but then also everything else that came along with it, the, the pregame toolbox of whatever vitamins he was putting in his body. And then the tire the whole the like, bag uh, yeah, the, collection. Like, yeah. That was you know, awesome. It, Valley. It, it's, it, it'd be a classic story. And if you look at the, the history books, like to Tony's point, like that era was, was really pretty unique and, and it obviously formed our 
experience, but I think in the larger scheme of lacrosse and in indoor lacrosse history, it's, it's, it's a pretty compelling story. I still have the barf bag collection. I think Pete Tyson took all the barf bags, photocopied them and put them in a book for us. And I have it. It's still somewhere uh, that I keep and, and pull it open every once in a while. I'm still not overly happy with Dallas putting bolts in my neck. I thought that was a little over the top and probably he not. Treat, he didn't character. treat anybody worse than me. You know <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> I just didn't think that was indicative of my character, the bolts in the neck. But, you know, he he, he took a lot of shots at a lot of guys. But, he don't, you know, no self – like, he didn't take any shots at himself. Somehow he always had a cape on. In his or, like, a Spider-Man mask. Like, like, chiseled. Uh, yeah, like he was so good-looking. Like and <laughs> it just – you know, come on, Dally. Um but anyway, fellas, look, the, the walk down memory lane uh, with you guys, I, I always it's special for me when I get a chance to talk to you, but more special when I get a chance to see you guys and spend some time. And uh, I love doing it. Uh, thank you for coming on. Uh, sorry it took so long, but, uh, you know, 16 is a really seasoned number. And, and you know, I'm, I'm starting to get in a groove. So I wanted to make sure you guys were, were – I was at my very best to welcome you onto the TFL podcast. Uh, looking forward to, to seeing you soon and keep, uh, keep grinding away with the archers and, uh, and, and at school and, and doing your thing. You're both great educators and leaders of men. And, and uh, I, I, I always spend a lot of time thinking about how to model myself after both of you guys. So clearly not doing a very good job, but, uh, uh, but you, you set a very high bar. So uh, thanks, guys, for being on the show. I very much appreciate it. I had a blast, man. It was fun. Good to see Coach Rash as always and your handsome mug. Uh, you know, always a treat. So thanks for having us. Yep. Thanks, Steven. Loved it.